Well, folks, uh, let's dive in. Uh, in fact, before we do that, a couple of thoughts. Uh, one, just to sort of a footnote or to, to recap the Alpha course, which uh, Johnny and Leanne are going to be running, um, is for new Christians or not yet Christians. You know, I, I can think of people in my own life who uh, I know who aren't yet, but I know are exploring faith. And so if you know of anyone, that would really interest. It is just such a great uh, group to get along to. And then uh, secondly, just to mention to the, to the guys that we're getting together this Friday evening. Uh, I've forgotten what time it is. Half seven, is it? Okay. Uh, so come along and uh, we're good, aren't we? Um, so bring your food and we're going to get together. We're going to have a chat, conversation in around uh, kind of guy stuff. That'll be that. Um, today we're kicking off uh, a, a new topic, which I'm really excited about. And uh, I don't know, you, you know, I guess when you come back to church, having had a Christmas break, you're probably thinking... Uh, new beginnings, New Year's resolutions, all that sort of stuff, because we kind of pretty much do that most years. Because most of us are kind of in that way of thinking, aren't we? We're thinking, ah, oh, so the new beginning. And, and yet, I don't know about you, I, I kind of have noticed over the last few years that people aren't so much talking about New Year's resolutions anymore. Would that be fair to say? Would you, yeah? Like, who, who made a New Year's resolution? Yeah, four or five of you. So, so there you go. And, and I guess, the, I, I'm guessing... I'm not saying this is true. I'm guessing part of it is they rarely work. Is that right? We start with good intentions and we join the gym and we go three times and then it's a waste of money or whatever it might be. Thanks, love. And, um, and I've kind of noticed over, over time that less and less people are kind of doing that. But some people, there's a shift towards uh, setting goals or setting challenges for the year. And some people as well... Uh, a new thing it seems to be the word for the, for the year. You know, you, one particular word that you're choosing to, to live by during the course of the year. Uh, I guess I just want to kick off today and the next few weeks with a new series, which I really strongly believe has the power to change our lives. Um, if we will choose to engage with this teaching material. If we choose to commit to coming each week, and I'm saying that strongly, um, if you're part of our church, then come each week. Okay, don't take a Sunday off and oh, lie in bed. Right, now, fair play. If you're weekend away, go have your weekend away. If you're seeing family, go see your family. You know, if you're serving in the kids, you're serving in the kids, listen to the talk after. But if it's just like, oh, I've had a busy week, I'm just tired. Get to church and stay the course. Because there's no point listening to this this week and then three weeks later coming and dipping in again. You really need to kind of um, do the, the course of the journey with us. And allow God, invite God into the mix as we do that. We're going to be looking at this thing called Emotionally Healthy Church. Here's the book. I'd encourage you to get a copy. Um, some of you have done Emotionally Healthy Women. We've run two groups, and so you're streets ahead, girls. You're going to be leading the way in this uh, with us. Uh, but emotional health is a massive part 
of our lives today. It's something that's talked about, where in previous generations would never even conceive talking about this issue. Um, in our school now, the Glasshouse uh, young people have left their meeting in what's called the Wellbeing Center. The Wellbeing Center is a room where we brew tea and coffee for afterwards, by the way. And that used to be, I think, like the meeting room. There used to be like big tables in there and the Board of Governors. I think traditionally it used to be like the meeting room. And it got used for other bits and bobs as well. And the school decided about three years ago to convert the space into a well-being centre. And lots of great programmes uh, are run from that. It's staffed most of the day, I think most days. And it gives uh, young people, gives pupils an opportunity to engage with a whole plethora of different things to really help in the whole area of emotional well-being, which is absolutely brilliant. So, so good. So needed. So why are we talking about it in the church? Well, I believe that emotional health and spiritual maturity go hand in hand together. I'm going to read a very brief passage. Normally, when someone reads something, I switch off. So don't switch off, please. Um, there's four lines. Something is desperately wrong with most churches today. We have many people who are passionate for God and his work, yet who remain disconnected from their own emotions or those around them. The combination is deadly, both for the church and the leader's personal life. Jesus came to set captives free. He came to restore. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He promises to us life in all its fullness. And when we become a Christian, Paul writes that we become a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But that's just the very beginning. It's the very beginning of when we become what we know is justified. So our sins are forgiven and everything that's done in the past is done with. And we're justified because of the blood shed upon the cross. But that is day one of a lifetime of transformation. Or what we sometimes use the word is sanctification. Sanctification is this word which simply means becoming more like Jesus. And it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of discipleship and of processing. And Jesus wants to get down to the nitty gritty, to the guts and the stuff inside us. And the things that really, really make us tick. I want to say on week one... My prayer is, my hope is that you journey this with us. My hope is that you will allow the Holy Spirit and God's people to minister gently and graciously to you. To get to the real heart of who you really are and allow him to perform some heart surgery. It could get a little bit messy and that's okay. We're good with mess in this church. There could be tears, there could be some uh, kind of just pain surfacing and that's okay, we're good with that, we like that because God is he's just, he is interested in every facet and every single room of our lives if we but invite him into every room and facet of our lives. You see, the reality is for many Christians, you could be a Christian for years and years and years and you could on the surface look and do all the right things which display spiritual maturity. You know, you could go, oh, God, super Christian. Oh, he, he seems to know his Bible. And, oh, she, she's, oh, yeah. But deep, deep down, unless we allow God to 
to disciple the very core of our souls, we can still be left with a whole manner of different symptoms which, uh, which rob us and kill us of, of the real freedom that Jesus promises to us. I'm going to read again. Stick with us. Ten just examples. Again, they're from the book. I'm not getting at anyone in particular at all. Don't take this personally. If you do take it personally, it's emotional health. You need looked at. The board member who never says, I was wrong or sorry. The children's church leader who constantly criticizes others. The high control small group leader who cannot tolerate different points of view. The middle-aged father of two toddlers who is secretly addicted to pornography. The 35-year-old husband busily serving in the church, unaware of his wife's loneliness at home. The worship leader who interprets any suggestion as a personal attack and personal rejection. The Sunday school teacher struggling with feelings of bitterness and resentment towards the pastor, but afraid to say anything. The exemplary servant who tirelessly volunteers in four different ministries, but rarely takes any personal time to take care of himself or herself. Two intercessors who use prayer meetings to escape from the painful reality of their marriage. The people in your small group who are never transparent about their struggles or difficulties. My guess is, as I'm reading some of those, you can identify with some of those uh, for yourselves. There is an imbalance for many between spiritual maturity and emotional health and well-being. And many have an inability to process emotions such as anger, sadness, hurt and pain. Instead, whine, complain, distance themselves, use sarcasm, are highly defensive to criticism and expect others to meet their needs. That's just a few things. We could use a whole load of other uh, different ways too. How can this be so? How can this be so? The people of God, those who journey faith, those who... Uh, claim to know Jesus, how can we be so? Surely we should be the most freed up, liberated people. It's because we have not necessarily received a holistic, an all-round um, way of discipleship. And the church has, has done well at, um, at, at helping in things like Bible study and prayer. We love the Holy Spirit. We're going to invite people to come to receive prayer and to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we love the area of worship and we meet God in that way. But I believe that there's other areas that we need to utilize. As a doctor would prescribe uh, different medicines for different symptoms, there are other things such as looking beneath the surface of the iceberg, breaking the power of the past, living in brokenness and vulnerability, Receiving the gift of limits, embracing grief and loss, making incarnation your model for loving well and slowing down to lead with integrity. The link between spiritual maturity and emotional health is an area of discipleship which is uh, often uh, not been explored and we want to de uh, delve deeply into it. Now it's at this point I'm just going to Offer the caution and the reassurance. Uh, some of you potentially are feeling quite uncomfortable right now as I've read those things. And I just want to reassure you and say that's okay. 
that's okay. Trust him. Trust him. He's not going to do anything, you know, that he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, trust us and trust uh, those around you uh, that we're here to, for, to, to see you uh, be well. We want to be in, uh, facilitators to, to help journey uh, that stuff with you. Um, some of you might be thinking, oh no, I've got to revisit that again. And uh, some of you are thinking, I thought I'd done and dusted with that thing. And actually, for some of you, you have. And that's okay. But for some of you, it could be revisiting it, it again in order to allow God to just peel back another layer. Others of you are thinking, this is completely different. This is an area not often talked about in church. And some of you are feeling like uncomfortable talking about emotions because it's just not something that you do. Jesus shared and expressed many emotions. He shed tears when he sees and he approaches Jerusalem. He was filled with joy on the return of the 72 after he had sent them out. He was grieved and was sorrowful as he prayed and waited for his arrest in Gethsemane. He was angry and distressed at the unbelief and religiosity of the Pharisees. He felt compassion for the mother of a dead son. He felt sorrow and sadness at the death of his friend Lazarus. And he was astonished at the people's lack of faith in his hometown of Nazareth. Now, the Holy Spirit has ministered to me on many times. I can, I can tell you about just receiving prayer and allowing people that I trust to lay hands and, and just uh, pray into those things. Uh, reading and reflecting on the truth of the scriptures. Uh, praying myself and, and just getting into his presence and pouring out my heart have been good medicine that has uh, helped heal, but it hasn't been enough. And this is where I'm going, and this is where we're going over the course of the next few weeks. More has been required. Conversations with trusted people, some of you are in the room. Spiritual fathers and mothers, people that know me and are for me. People who have eyes to see what's really going on under the surface. The need to revisit the past, even though that can be painful. Counseling of a professional nature, which has happened on more than one occasion over the years. And most recently, a different working way of life. I cannot tell you since September what a different person I am. And that is part and parcel of it, is, is having the ability to actually journey life, not completely stressed and maxed out. And that is part and parcel of what we're going to be talking about in terms of energy levels and how that affects um, emotions. Chantelle and I went to Spain on a retreat, it's a difficult life, um, back in October, uh, alongside with a number of uh, other vineyard pastors from Ireland. And I cannot begin to tell you how worthwhile and life-giving that experience was. Plus it was sunny and sangria was nice too. Um, but Andy and Harmony, our bishops from uh, Belfast City Vineyard, they were leading us in this whole area. And they've challenged us 
not challenged us. That always sounds negative. They've encouraged us greatly to really delve into this stuff. And they, they bought us the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, which um, we're slowly reading through, which we have been reading but haven't re- read for a while. I'm confessing that now to you. But Andy started the retreat with a passage, and it's where I'm going to leave us this morning. And it's from Mark 10, starting at 46, just a few verses. It's about a blind man called Bartimaeus. It goes something like this. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus is leaving the city with his disciples and a large crowd. A beggar, blind man called Bartimaeus, calls, have mercy on me. Come, come. Jesus calls him and invites him and he asks him this question. And this is the question I want you to think about right now. And this is the question I want you to take home with you. And this is the question I want you to ponder in your time, uh, in your prayers, on the toilet, on the bus, wherever you might be. This is the question and it comes from him. What do you want me to do for you? I'd encourage you now for 30 seconds, close your eyes. You don't have to, but I would encourage you to. The question is, what do you want me to do for you? And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to ponder that. Now make that your prayer. Okay, open your eyes. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to you to respond. As an invitation for Jesus to minister really deeply and really personally to you. This is just an introduction. We're going to get deeper. And uh, it's going to be good. Don't be afraid. Um, I really would encourage you to stick the journey. And I'd really encourage you to um, commit to joining a group. Because at the end of the day, it's not... uh, don't think for a second that you go to a group and you bear everything. You, you don't. You go to a group and you meet other people. 
and you find other individuals that you know and you can trust. And it's in that environment where maybe over a coffee or at a later time, you can talk about the real deep stuff. Okay, but I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to end with this last thing, and then I'm going to invite um, the guys, Vicky and um, Sergi, to come up and just lead us in a bit of worship. Another thing that Andy and Harmony left us with over the course of our retreat was this. It was about our churches, not just this church, but the other vineyard churches. And they said this, I thought it was really, really important that you hear this. The way we build is more important than what we build. I love the church of Jesus. I love this. I've obeyed God's call and devoted our lives to the body of Christ. Love it. It's the hope for the world. But the way in which we build is more important than what we actually build. That includes you, and that includes me, and that includes the way in which we relate and engage with each other. And it's when we get that right, and it's when we get that wholesome and maturely, we are able to shine our light to the rest of our community. Amen. Guys, why don't we stand together? We're going to worship and then we're going to pray.